have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 14. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV um, tonight. So if you have your Bible app, turn to that. Um, we're, in a ser- we're in a series called uh, Follow Me, where we're essentially just asking the question, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus according to Jesus? I feel like I have to say this over and over every week, but I think sometimes we have our version of following Jesus, our family's version, culture's version, our church's version, but like we want to go to the mouth of Jesus himself because we are Jesus people and let his words uh, shape our lives. And that's what I want. I hope that's what you want. And uh, before we jump into today's passage, um, a kind of a couple of disclosures. Uh, This passage in particular today has been um, honestly weighing really heavy on my heart And just to kind of set the tone for tonight, tonight might be a little bit more serious than maybe some of the previous messages, because I don't know how else to, like, represent Jesus's words here. And I'm just going to warn you, like, Jesus is going to get up all up in your business tonight. Um, And he's going to come after, like, the parts of your heart that you don't want him to come after. Have you ever had, like, God poke you in a place where you're just like, don't touch that. <laughs> tonight's, like, tonight's a night where Jesus is going to come after those things. Uh, but I hope to kind of like share these words of Jesus in a way that is uh, inviting also. But um, I do want to pray just, I don't know about you guys, but when you've had a long day, uh, you've had a long week, and maybe if you're wrestling with some things already, it's kind of hard to open yourself up to what God has for you. And so I just want our prayer right now to be like, God, I just pray that you'd speak to me. And uh, above all, I pray that uh, our hearts would just love Jesus more when we leave here, uh, and that when Jesus like kind of reaches for that part in our heart, that we would recognize that that's to free us and to give us life. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and um, and then we'll get into tonight's passage. Oh Lord, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful to God follow you. I'm so thankful to um, God. I'm just so thankful for salvation. Uh, God, those words that you are faithful. Uh, God, that's what keeps me going in seasons where I'm struggling with my lack of faithfulness. Um, God, your faithfulness is good. Uh, It's consistent. It's the only consistent thing in our lives. And so we're so thankful for that. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would just uh, remove obstacles in our minds. Uh, I pray that the anxieties of life, God, that we would just be able to bring those to you tonight. But Lord, also uh, to put aside maybe some things tonight just to hear what you have to say. Um, Jesus, you are alive and well, and you want to speak to us. And so I pray that we would not be the barrier to that. Uh, Lord, we open ourselves up to you. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tricked or manipulated into committing to something before? I can't repeat what you just said out loud, <laughs> Josh. He goes, heck yeah, well, something else. Um, no, so I, I have a story. So my wife and I bought our house probably like a year and a half ago or something like that. And uh, I didn't know anything. Pretty much my wife did the whole process, and I was just kind of along for the ride, partly because she probably didn't trust me to do anything. But we got something in our mail, and it was like this like yellow card like this, and it said something like, hey, uh, we need to test the water of your house because you just bought a house. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I've never bought a house before. Like, maybe this is something that happens. And so, like, I'm like, hey, Crystal, apparently people need to test the water in our house. Can I call these people? She's like, yeah, go for it. So I call this number on the phone, and they're like, yeah, um, yeah, we just set up, let's just set up a time. We'll come test the water at your house. I was like, all right, come Thursday at 4 or something like that. So like, sounds good. And you also get a gift card with this. I was like, oh, great. They get to test my water. Just let us know if you want chili. Or no, not chilies. Nobody would want chilies. Let, let, me, they let us know if you want Olive Garden or Amazon. I was like, 
my wife's favorite restaurant is Olive Garden, so that'll be brownie points for me as a husband, so bring that over. And, um, and so, they, so this guy shows up to my house, and I'm like, babe, the guy's here, ready to check out our water. And she's like, great, we literally have like family coming in like two hours, like we're trying to clean the whole house because we can't keep it clean ever. And so we, uh, so this guy like knocks on the door and he doesn't even say anything. He's like, all right, you ready to get started? And I was like, sure, I guess I'll let you into my house. So Crystal goes upstairs, like, I really need your wife here for this. And I was like, okay, uh, I guess I can be here, but okay, Crystal can come downstairs. So he like literally just starts taking my sink apart and he does like literally, guys, like we get 30 minutes in, he's testing my water. He's like, do you realize like you don't have a water softener? in your house, and I was like, yeah, I know, we just bought it, we're trying, you know, we're 22 or whatever, how old we are, we're just trying to make it work, so half an hour in, he's telling us, he's doing all these different things, he literally pulls out, like, this laptop with this screen, and he shows us, like, here's your water, and here's the type of water that you should have, and here's, like, if you drink this, this is what it could do to your body, I'm not kidding, we get to two hours, he's in my uh, house, in my kitchen for two hours, and my family's coming over, in 15 minutes, and I'm like, what is going, like, I'm so confused, like, are we actually supposed to be doing this, like, and then literally he goes, he sits me down, he's like, all right, let's have a seat at the table, he's like, all right, you need a water softener, and I want to sell you one right now, it's going to cost you $7,000, and I was like, 7000 oh, like, who do you think I am, and so we sit down, and I was just like, hey, man, like, I just realized I got into this thing, and you totally, like, you did not need to do this, you just slid in this free Olive Garden gift card, told me I need my water checked, and now I'm locked in for two hours. But my wife loves it because she's a science teacher. She's like, oh, I could do this in class. And so she's loving it. I'm extremely frustrated and stressed because we have family coming over. So finally, I'm like, hey, man, like, we don't make financial decisions apart from, like, talking to each other overnight. Like, $7,000 isn't, like, change we throw around. He's like, all right, that's, I totally understand. It's tomorrow. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and I'm not buying any water from you. And I'm sorry. So he gave us the gift card. He left mad. And I was just like, what just happened? Like, I just wasted two hours of our time. No wonder my wife doesn't let me do anything. She's frustrated. We're all frazzled. And then, uh, and then I realized, I was like, man, I was like, he totally tricked me into committing to something. Two hours of something I didn't even want to do. And as I was kind of thinking about that story, I realized it's kind of that way in our relationship with Jesus sometimes. Like, you, you kind of sign up to follow Jesus, and you go, Jesus, I didn't really realize what I was saying yes to. Have you guys ever had that in your life where you go, um, hey, like, I kind of, like, was all about, like, I thought I would, what I was saying yes to, like, was this, and what I realized I was saying yes to wasn't that, and you're kind of caught off guard. I remember I was talking with Kendrick, and one of the things that he told me recently, he said, he goes, I wish somebody told me up front that following Jesus was really hard, and I think one of the reasons why that he had that experience, and so many of the reasons we actually get frustrated in our relationships with Jesus. How many of you know somebody who has followed Jesus, and then when they actually follow Jesus, they get mad at Jesus because it's hard to follow Jesus? You know? I've, I've been that way. Like, Jesus, I followed you, and it's harder now. And I think one of the things that we have to realize is, is that sometimes people tell us only the blessings of what it means to follow Jesus, and not how much it will cost you. Um, and what we're going to see tonight is Jesus is going to tell us up front um, how much following him will cost us. And, um, and so let's, I want to read these words, uh, Luke 
14, verses uh, 25 through 27. So here's, let me, let me paint the picture of the scene really quick. Jesus is on the road. He's going to Jerusalem, and uh, he's going to Jerusalem to his death. Like, this is the part of Jesus' life where he's literally, like, it says over and over, like, I'm, he's on his way to Jerusalem. His, like, inner group of disciples are following him, and then he has all these crowds following him. And then in Luke uh, 14, 25, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So you must hate your family and you must hate your life. Verse 27, and whoever, then he just keeps going, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now press pause. The disciples would have known very, very clearly what Jesus was talking about. So if you were in the Roman world, one of the ways that they would kind of like emphasize their power over you is if you walked into the city of Rome sometimes, they would literally be like miles of people being crucified on either side of the road. And so you'd walk into the city and you would see people being crucified like hanging, like dying, or some of them already dead. And it was Rome's way of saying, don't mess with us as you come into our city. So Jesus is using that image. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to carry your cross. See the cross? If you can't, you can't be my disciple. Then he goes on in verse 33. He kind of sums it all up, and he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, not shouldn't, but cannot be my disciple. All right, can we just press pause for a second and go, that's insane. Like, I was actually reading these words, and if you've been in church a long time, I just want to encourage you, like, re, like, re-hear these words as if it's for the first time. This is why I have, like, a little bit of a problem of, like, people kind of, like, putting Jesus in this, like, neutral space. Because, like, if Jesus, like, if he can't just be a good person and demand this of you. Do you get what I'm saying? He's literally saying, give up your whole life, hate your family. Uh, hate your life, give up everything. If you can't, you can't be my disciple. He's either insane, and there's something actually kind of evil about that, or there's actually a reason that he would say something like that. And so one of the questions I just asked myself is, like, why, before we even jump into, like, the actual verses and start applying it to our lives, like, why does Jesus say stuff like this? And I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. One, um, it's kind of how Jesus saw himself and maybe how we can view him that can kind of make us misunderstand this one jesus saw himself more of a king leading an army into battle than a politician looking for votes i think some of the times the way that we describe jesus is like hey just believe in me like jesus is just like kind of insecure and just like really hoping people will believe in him right so it's like He's trying to, like, gain favor, like, with the crowds. Because it says large crowds were gathering here. And in Luke's gospel, large crowds are kind of, like, neutral people. So, like, they're not, like, quite yet committed to Jesus, but they're not necessarily out. And so Jesus, he sees himself as, like, a king leading an army into battle against the darkness in the world and the darkness in you. And he goes, listen, I don't have time to, like, kind of convince you to, like, vote for me as if I need that. If I'm, if I'm a king and I'm going to lead you into battle, I need you to know up front you're going to have to give up everything to complete the mission. And so Jesus is saying, listen, like I'm leading something and you're going to have to give up everything to be a part of it if you actually want to be able to go through all the way. And so that's one reason Jesus says stuff like this. Another thing is uh, Jesus wasn't about making people curious 
but about people making commitments to his kingdom mission. Uh, I think so often in the church, it's like we try to make people curious. And I do think there's a winsomeness of inviting people. But Jesus, he wasn't interested in making people curious. But he was about people making commitments to his kingdom mission. So he goes, listen, if you want to be committed to this thing, it's going to cost you your whole life. And then thirdly, I would say, um, and this is probably the most winsome kind of thing that I was thinking about, is Jesus is a truthful man. And he's a man of integrity. Have you been frustrated at how, how the world lies to you? Like it overpromises what it can give you and then underdelivers? Jesus, the reason Jesus tells you it's going to cost you your life is because he's actually telling you the truth because it actually, like, will, following him. I've always appreciated when I was a coach, uh, not when I was a coach, when I was a player, uh, I really, it was actually kind of frustrating, like, the coaches that told you, like, no, you guys are a great team, of course you're going to be able to beat this other team, and you get run over by them because, like, the coach could never say the hard thing that you needed to hear in order to beat the team. But I always appreciated. I remember before we went into our state championship game when I was a senior, I remember our coach saying, listen, they're a better team than you. Uh, and there's better players, and they're more athletic than you. And I was like, they're not more athletic than us. And he's like, no, they're all more athletic than you. But if you, if you, if you stick to the game plan, you can beat this team. And, and so Jesus, in some ways, uh, he's really just trying to be truthful, and he's trying to be a man of integrity. And he's saying, listen, like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you up front that following you is going to be hard so that you can adjust your expectations so that when it does get hard, you're not freaked out. I was thinking about this line, if you expect following Jesus to be easy, it actually ends up being extremely hard. But if you expect following Jesus to be hard, it actually ends up being kind of easy. And not easy, like it's easy to follow Jesus, but like when you have realistic expectations, you go, okay. When it actually gets tough, it's like, I expected this. My Lord told me it would be hard. Does that make sense? All right, so let's actually jump into, like, what specifically uh, Jesus gives in this passage. There's three conditions, and yes, that is conditions, three conditions to follow Jesus from Jesus himself. And they're th- they're, here are the three things, and, I, and I've already said it, but I'm going to say it again, and we're going to jump in. You've got to hate your family, hate your life, carry your cross, and follow me. So here's what I want to do. I want to take those first two, hate your family and hate your life, uh, and I want to work through those and what that means, and then we'll get to the carrier cross thing. So here we go. Condition one, condition two. Um, here's something that's very interesting. Telling people to hate what they love is hardly the way to get popular. So Jesus tells people to hate what they love. I don't know about you, like, but like I love my family, and I have a really broken family, and there's a lot of brokenness in me, but I love my family. But it, Jesus tells people to hate what they love in order to get their attention, and it shows a lot of what Jesus' mindset is. Uh, Jesus wasn't interested in getting spectators to his show. I think a lot of times in church we just want to get like people to come to an event to watch so it feels good. Jesus wasn't interested in spectators. He was, he was interested in getting recruits. And so when Jesus says, I need you to hate your family, uh, one of the questions that I initially asked is like, why does he say hate? Like, why couldn't he have just said, like, I just need you to make sure that I'm number one. But he literally goes out of his way to say, like, listen, I need you to hate your family. And before you get kind of caught up in that, here's a couple things I would say. One, Jesus is purposely using shocking language to get your attention. Have you ever, like, when you read those words, there's part of me that, like, kind of, like, jumped out at it, you know, because, like, I didn't expect it. And so Jesus, is, he turns to the crowd, listen, like, you got to hate your family, and you got to hate your life. 
And then I asked the question, I'm like, well, why does Jesus kind of, like, out of all the things he said to hate, why does he say, like, hate your life and then hate your family? And, and here's the point. Jesus is using the language of hate not because he's against family or not even because he's against your life, but he's trying to get you to see that you must love him more than anything and everything in your life. And so if you want to actually translate Jesus to what he's actually saying, the word hate literally means like to love less. So he's, listen, look, you need to love your family less than you love, you need to love your family less than you love me. You need to hate your, love your life less than you love me. And now here's the thing. Jesus purposely took family and he purposely took life because he was trying to get to the highest thing people would hold in their lives at that time. And so Jesus, for you, it may not be family. Maybe you're like, well, I actually don't like my family, so like I'm off the hook, you know. So, but it may not be family, but Jesus may say like, hey, you need to hate your, like, your relationship dreams. You need to hate your career. You need to hate your education. Or you need to hate your wife and your coming kids. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, like, I have to be your everything over above anything. And that's the level of commitment that Jesus is calling to. There's this quote by this, uh, this scholar named Thomas Boston, and he says this, No person can be a true disciple of Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him or her in the world. I need to read that again. No person, according to Jesus, can be a true disciple or an apprentice of Christ to whom Christ is not dearer than what is dearest to him or her in the world. Which leads us to a question. I'll just ask you, what's, what's most dear to you in your life? What's most dear to you? Like, what do you, like, when you're by yourself, like, what do you dream about? Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's this, like, this dream about making a certain amount of money. Maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is for you, I don't know. I can't answer that for you. I can answer it for me. Jesus is saying, I need to be more dear to you than that thing. Now, which leads to another question, why? Like, actually, why? Like, why does Jesus, like, because I haven't thought about this. Even if, if you're not a Christian in the room, you might think about it this way. Well, doesn't it, like, that's kind of my problem with God. Like, is he just like an, like an egomaniac? Like, where he's just like, I get it, he's God, but, like, he's, like, he's just so needy, you know? Like, he really needs me. Or, like, what is this all about? And so I kind of, I, I was thinking through this, and I just said, Jesus can't just be another affection of ours, but he needs to be the highest affection. And the reason for that is because, listen, whatever has your highest affection will have your deepest commitment. In your life, whatever has your greatest affection, your highest affection, will have your deepest commitment. I remember when I was, in, I was dating in high school, and there's this girl, I thought she was the girl of my dreams, and uh, like any high schooler. And I remember, like, because that was the highest affection of my life, I sacrificed everything else on the altar of that relationship. And so Jesus is saying, if there's anything in your heart that is a higher affection than me, you will even sacrifice me for that thing. And so Jesus says, listen, your highest affection has to be me because your deepest commitment needs to be to me and my kingdom, fishing, uh, kingdom mission. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want to have more of our lives. He wants to be Lord of our lives. 
Jesus doesn't want just a little bit more of your life, but he wants to be Lord of every single part of your life. And so let's, let's move on to the second thing. So it's condition one and condition two, hate your family and hate your life. And then Jesus says this, uh, condition number three is that in order to be a disciple of Christ, you need to carry your cross and follow him. And so here's the thing. I kind of already said this, but when Jesus is saying, listen, you need to carry your cross and follow me, the first, there's kind of like two meanings to what he's saying here. The first meaning is this, is Jesus saying kind of like what we've already said, but you need to have a commitment and a loyalty to me that's to the point of death if necessary. It's hard for us to understand because like the cross, whenever we hear about the cross, it's always tied to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. But before Jesus died on the cross, now listen, he's talking to his disciples. They don't know he's going to go to the cross. And so there's no image of, like, somebody dying on the cross for their sins. It's just a picture. Literally, when they hear the word cross, all they see is rejection, pain, humiliation, and death. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be committed to me, you have to be willing to accept rejection, pain in your life, and humiliation. And so what Jesus is, like, honestly, and it's so hard for us to understand this in American culture because we don't get persecuted in the ways that some of our brothers and sisters do in like China or Afghanistan. But Jesus wants you to actually ask yourself, are you willing to give your life to Jesus even if it costs you your life? Are you willing to give your life to Jesus even if it costs you your life? And here's why that question is important. If you are unwilling to die for Jesus, you won't be willing to live for him. If you are unwilling to die for Jesus, you won't be willing to live for him, at least not in the way that he calls you to live. Because the life that he calls you to live is a life of death, which leads to the second meaning. The second meaning of carrying your cross and following Jesus, it's, it's a commitment to a cross-patterned life. So it's not just like, hey, just be willing to die for me if the moment comes. He's saying, listen, you actually have to be willing and committed to a cross-patterned life. And ultimately, Jesus reshapes the meaning of the cross, yes, to rejection, pain, and humiliation, all the things that he had to go through to cleanse us of sin. But he also, like, re-pictured uh, the cross to be an image of dying love. God got on the cross and in love died for us. And so what Jesus is, sh is showing us here and what he's inviting us to from these conditions, he's saying, listen, if I died for you, then you need to die for others as my apprentices. One of the things that we talked about in the series is that apprentices seek to become with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so if Jesus was like somebody and who actually was somebody who gave up his life for others, Jesus is saying, listen, I died for you, so you die for your brothers and sisters. And, and what I also want you to see about this is that this isn't just service for Jesus. I think sometimes when we hear this language of like, carry your cross and follow me, it's like, all right, Jesus, I'll do it for you. Jesus isn't just, like, one of the things I love about Jesus is he never asks you to do something that he hasn't already done himself, right? Like, like sometimes I've even, like, I've been guilty about this in ministry. I'm like, I just called somebody to do something that I'm not even actually sure that I'm doing in my life. But Jesus is such a good leader, and he's such a good king, and he's such a good savior that although he's God, he never calls us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. So when we, when we have this dying love because Christ died for us for one another, it's not just service for Jesus, but it's actually participating in the life of Jesus himself. He goes, I had a life of dying for others, and so I want you to actually participate with me in that life by dying for others. 
which leads us to a couple questions that I think we need to ask ourselves. And the first is, um, I'll just ask you, does your life look like a cross? Like, what does your life look like? When people look at your life, do they see a cross? Meaning, do they see somebody who is, like, in moment by moment in every work meeting, with their family, at their church, with their spouses, your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, do you see a picture of death? Brother or sister in Christ, do people see a dying love in your life as you follow Jesus? The second thing I would say is Jesus says, carry your cross and follow me. And so I just want to ask you the question also, what's in your hands as you follow Jesus? Is it a cross? Is it the cross of love? Or are you still trying to carry with you just, I don't know what it is. But, like, we all try to carry stuff. Like, we kind of, like, I do this. Like, I'm like, Jesus, I want to give you my whole life. But I would really like it if you fill in the blank. Or, like, Jesus, like, I really want to follow you as king and, like, die to myself. But, like, just not with my finances. You know, or Jesus, like, I really want to, like, man, I want to give my whole life to you. I want to do this whole thing. But, like, you know, like, I'm not going to give you my time. What Jesus is calling us to is, listen, you have to, like, if you're going to take up your cross and follow me, your life needs to look like a cross, which is dying your preferences for another person's good, and it's to carry the cross of love in your hands as you follow Jesus, your Savior. So Jesus gives those three conditions, that we hate our family, we hate our life, which means we love those things less than him, that we carry our cross and we follow him. And then Jesus kind of continues this teaching. So he gives that to the crowds. Jesus was a good crowd center. You know, like, a, a churches always get, like, you know, like, they might get, like, the best, like, if they need to build a ministry, like, we just got to get the best speaker and get people here. Jesus is like, crowds are getting thick, time to give a hard message. You got to give up your life. Everybody thins out, right? And so then he, like, he doesn't even stop there. He just kind of continues on. And so he kind of tells two stories to illustrate his point even further. And so in Luke 14, look at the down at verse 28. Jesus gives this story. He goes, all right, so suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish and so jesus is saying listen listen wouldn't it be embarrassing if you wanted to build something and then like you just couldn't do it because you just didn't estimate how much it would cost you jesus is saying listen in the same way, if you want to follow me, this is so crazy. It's like Jesus is trying to convince people out of following him. He goes, I want you to consider how much it will cost you. And once you consider the cost, and he just said the cost could be, end up being your whole life, are you sure you want to do it? Because if you start this journey and just peter out, like, it's just going to be worthless anyway. And, so, and what Jesus is asking, really, is, is can you afford to follow me? Can you afford to follow me? Can you count the cost? Because here's what's true. Receiving God's grace is free, but following will cost you. Receiving God's grace is free, but following Jesus will cost you. And so Jesus is so brilliant. So he goes, all right, count the cost before you follow me. Like, don't just, like, jump in because it's hype and it's cool. Like, really consider, like, do you want to be committed to me with all of your life? And then he goes on in Luke 14, verse 31, and he says, Uh, this, or 
or, or, yeah, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Seems pretty reasonable. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. And so what's actually really brilliant about Jesus, it, at first reading, this kind of seems like a glance that like, oh, Jesus is just saying, like sharing an, another story to share the same thing. But actually, most scholars think what Jesus is trying to get here is he's actually trying to paint a picture using this story about what's actually happening between God and humanity. And so the greater king in the story is actually God himself. And the lesser king, like, so you have like this king that's coming against this other king, and the, the lesser king is actually humanity. And so what, what a lot of scholars are thinking what's happening is Jesus is saying, listen, like God is coming in his justice and in his righteous judgment and anger and love to purge the world of all evil. And he will purge the world of all evil even if it includes you because he loves the world so much. Jesus loves his world enough to not allow what's ruining his world to stay in the world. And so what Jesus has offered in the gospel is to find forgiveness and to start that healing project in you, but also to become a friend of God instead of an enemy. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, God is coming, like, and he's using war imagery to, like, go to battle against the darkness of this world. And are you sure you're going to be able to stand up against it? And so while the first story was about considering the cost before you follow, the second story Jesus is trying to get at is to consider the cost of not following. So yes, can you afford to follow Jesus? But Jesus is trying to say, listen, can you afford to not follow me? Because follow, like the cost of not following is actually greater than the cost of following itself. Does that make sense? Jesus is brilliant. And then Jesus moves on in Luke 14, 33. And this is kind of like the summary sentence that I already read. But uh, he kind of goes on from these two stories. And he says, in the same way, uh, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be disciples. And so Jesus is saying a disciple who has renounced everything to follow Jesus is the only kind of disciple there is, at least according to Jesus. I've really wrestled with this passage. Jesus isn't saying you have to earn anything. He's not saying all that. And I'll get to su some stuff at the end. But just like sit on, I just want you to sit on these verses. In the same way, those of you, which means anybody, who do not give up everything, which means at least be willing to do whatever Jesus asks you to do, you cannot be my disciple. Not saying you shouldn't, he's saying you can't be my disciple if you're not willing. And so uh, I was reading another something on this passage, and here's this quote uh, by author N.T. Wright. He says, when there is an urgent task to be done, as there is now for the people of God, then everything else, including one, one's own life, must be put at risk for the sake of the kingdom of God. The same is true of possessions. Many of Jesus' followers then and now have owned houses in lands and have not felt compelled to abandon them. But being prepared to do so is the sign that one has understood the seriousness of the call to follow Jesus. Any of us at any time might actually be summoned to give up everything quite literally and respond to a new emergency situation. I love that. If we're not ready for that, we are like the tower builder or the, warm, the warmonger who haven't thought through what they are really about. Jesus moves on and says a little bit more, and then we're going to wrap up here. 
verse 34, Jesus continues, and he ends this whole thing, and I love how he ends this. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, and it is thrown out. Now, when I read this, I was like, that's a really odd way to end this teaching. Like, I was tracking with everything you're saying, but then you start talking about salt. I don't get what you're getting at. And so it, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, he goes, if salt loses its saltiness, it loses its whole purpose in the first place. Pretty simple enough. And so what he's trying to do, he's saying, listen, likewise, if disciples of Jesus lose their commitment to the mission, then they'll lose their salty kingdom flavor to the world and become useless. So Jesus is saying, listen, like, if you're half committed or not committed to this thing, like, this whole, like, mission that I have for you to be, like, this new humanity that's, like, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's giving their whole lives of God to show, like, the world a picture of the future and uh, a picture of the past of how things were intended to be. Listen, if you're, like, half committed to that, like, you're like salt that's not salty anymore, and you're useless to the mission. And I think that's kind of hard for us to receive. It's hard for me to receive sometimes because I just go, man, like, Jesus is saying if I, like, and, and if you put it in any other context, it makes sense. Like, if I were a basketball coach and, like, I had a player on the team, like, all right, it's free to play on this team. Like, if you get on this team, it's free. Like, it's a gift. All right, if you get on the team, all right. But if you want to win the game and you're going to, like, like, not show up to practice, if you're not going to play hard, or, like, you're kind of useless to the point of the mission of the team to win the game. How much more than Jesus who's on a rescue mission for the whole world is saying this, if you're not commitment to if you're not committed to the kingdom, if you're not committed to the loss, if you're not committed to me and what I'm about, you're kind of useless to what I'm trying to do. It's very, uh, it's very sobering words from Jesus, but it really makes sense when you think about it. So that's the teaching tonight. How do you guys feel? All right, here's, a, here's how I felt when I, um, when I read this. I, um, I'm just going to be completely honest. Let me just talk for a few minutes and just give me a little grace. I really wrestle with the tension of I'm a performance person, like at heart. Like, just, I don't know if it's just from being in sports. I don't know if it's how I was raised. But I just, like, I, if I'm not, like, giving 110%, I feel like I'm an automatic failure, right? You know, it's just like, and when I, it's, if I read this passage in a week where I'm killing it, I'm like, yes, Jesus, I agree. They're not in. You know, like, I'm all in on you. Like, they're not salty. I'm really salty. You know, like, and so, like, I read it, and then I get, like, judgmental towards people like you all know that you can do that sometimes too there's the other side of this where i feel like recently where i'm like man i'm just like kind of struggling in my relationship with jesus and i read this and i'm like am i even a christian you know like what like what do i do with like stuff like this um and so i want to give you kind of a couple concluding thoughts and um i really hope that this is like an invitation as we end tonight uh one uh Jesus knows you're going to give your whole life up to something. It's just a matter of what it is. So when Jesus says, like, listen, I want you to give up your whole life for me, it's not just like he's saying, I know you're going to give your, your whole life to something. That's called worship. Worship is giving yourself, your whole self to something. And Jesus knows if you don't give up your whole life to me, you're going to give it up to give it up to something that's going to lead to slavery and death. And so when he says, "Hey, I need your whole life." He's saying, "Listen, because if you give your whole life to me, you're going to get freedom and joy." And yes, it's going to be hard, and yes, there's gonna, it's going to cost you. 
but you're actually going to start living the life that I created you to live, and you're actually going to start worshiping God instead of things that aren't God, and you're actually going to become a whole person. It's harder, but it's way better. So that's one of the things that I really just kind of freed me up. The second thing I would say is, yes, Jesus is asking you to place your whole life in his hands. He is, but there are no better hands for you to put your life in. You can put your life in anybody else's hands, and at some point they will fail you. I was talking to somebody uh, today who was saying they're just, like, afraid of failing somebody. And I was listening, and I was really relating uh, with this person. But I had the thought, I was like, yeah, and you will. Uh, And they, you. But Jesus is the one person you can put everything in his hands, and it's the best hands to be in. Because he loves you, and he cares for you. And here's where I want to end tonight. If this whole, like, give your whole life up to Jesus thing seems too great for you, the only way in my life that I've seen, like, my heart actually being able to move in power to actually do this is you need to see Jesus on the cross giving his whole life for you. Jesus is saying, listen, give me your whole life, but if you're not captivated, if you're not, like, if Christ on the cross giving up his everything for you hasn't moved you, it's going to be really hard to give up your whole life to him. But I'm telling you, if you can cultivate a heart of meditating on the love of God, being crucified on the cross to cleanse you from sin, to break the power of sin in your life, to have a relationship with you, to know you. And when that actually, like, grips you, you'll be willing to give up anything for him. Isn't that true? And so my prayer for you tonight as we just end, um, I just want to ask you this question. Um, It's something that you can pray about, and it's my challenge for you this week. I don't have anything for you to do this week except this. Um, how, what do you do when you hear a message like this from Jesus or an invitation from Jesus? Like, here's what I would say. I just want to ask you one question. What's competing with Jesus in your life? What in your life is competing with Jesus? Because I can just promise you, I know there's moments where, like, that thing just seems like the greatest thing and Jesus seems so much less than. But I'm just telling you, that thing, if it's the greatest thing in your life, will hurt you in the end. But Jesus, when he's the greatest thing in your life, yes, it will cost you, but you will be a fulfilled human being, and you'll be so filled up with the love of God, and God will do incredible things for you, because you'll be salty, you'll be committed to his mission, and God will do incredible things for your life. Amen? All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you, and uh, God, we're so thankful to... Jesus, we thank you that you love love us enough to tell us the hard things. And Jesus, I'm thankful that you do adjust expectations. And uh, Lord, I'm so thankful that I do know following you will be hard. Um, But Lord, one of the things that we're about to sing right now is uh, that you are enough for us. God, we've already sang that. Like all of our lives, uh, God uh, is completely fulfilled in who you are. God, you created us to find satisfaction in you. You you created us to, to worship you, God. And when we worship other things, that actually robs us of joy. And so God, we... I want to be a man that's full of joy. God, I want to be a community that's full of joy. God, I want to be um, a 710 family that is just marked by freedom. And God, I pray that you would help us to believe in our hearts, God, that when we give ourselves fully to you, God, that's where true freedom in life is found. And so, God, as we sing this, uh, as we sing these songs, God, I know some of us, uh, we don't want to sing this because we don't feel like our whole lives are given to you. And so, God, for that person, 
Lord, I pray that you would help them to see that they can sing these songs as prayers of uh, what we want to be true of our hearts. And God, for those of us that are so filled up with love and adoration of you giving yourself for us, God, I pray that we would just sing with thankfulness. God, you are so good to us. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.